0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, it's Susan Kiki, the host of the Southern Bell of Beverly Hills on the number one podcast network for professionals, Do You Believe?, This week's episode, 2020, you may now take your seat. I know that's how everyone is feeling about this year that has just, from beginning until current, has thrown every wrench you can think of into society. So there's a saying that says, recessions restore resourcefulness. What do pandemics do? My whole life, I have only ever wanted to work in the entertainment industry. My first real job was with the Norfolk Tides Baseball Club as the Director of Community Relations. Uh, At the time, they were the AAA affiliate of the New York Mets. Although my title was the Director of Community Relations, My job was to put butts in seats. And that is a direct quote from the late, great Mr. Dave Rosenfield, who was my supervisor and the general manager of the Norfolk Tides team. That was his favorite thing, butts in seats. That's what he wanted you to do. So as a director of community relations, obviously... I had to go out, make speeches, bring the players out to appearances, bring the mascot out to appearances, speak to Rotary clubs and Kiwanis clubs and youth groups, schools, school board meetings, whatever. Just speak to people and try to get them to want to rally around the hometown team and come out to the games. And I think it through, I think almost every job I've ever had has had that same philosophy, butts and seats. Granted, some of those seats might be remote in their homes or in movie theaters or where they watch concerts, but every job I've had has been butts in seats. As you know, 2020 has put the world in a position where there's no such thing as butts and seats or How safely can we put butts in seats? My whole way of thinking and everything that I knew, all the things I've done have been challenged. I remember Dave, one year they crowned him as the king of baseball, but really they should have crowned him as the king of customer service, because that's what he was. And there was so much to be learned from him not only about baseball, marketing, community relations, butts and seats, but in general. He was one of those people that at first he put fear in you, or at least he put fear in me. And then you got to know him and you realized that he was just this really wise, thoughtful, intuitive person who could see outcomes long before they actually happened. I remember on rain delays, it would be raining all day. When I say all day, I mean from at least 10 a.m., it would be raining all day, and the fans would show up at the stadium at game time because he did not call the game. So the fans would pay to park, park their cars, come into the stadium, go to concession, purchase whatever it was they were gonna eat or have for the game, and sit and wait for either a game to start, which if you know anything at all about baseball, if it's been raining all day since 10 a.m., the game is not going to happen the field is too wet and saturated. And they have product to put in the outfield and there's a tarp to cover the infield. But if it's been raining since 10 a.m., the game is not going to happen, period. But Dave, being this genius marketer business money man, he would open the gates, have everyone come in. They'd go and they'd buy their concessions And they'd hang around on the concourse. There'd be a band playing and clowns and everything that normally happened pregame. Just nothing happening on the field except for a lot of rain. I remember there would be like season ticket holders who I got to know pretty well, of course, from being there at every home game. Who would come up to me holding their giant beer that they paid $10 for way back in the day their peanuts and, you know, whatever else, their pretzels, whatever else they were going to eat for the game. They'd come up to me, sipping their beer, smacking their pretzel, asking, well, why hasn't Dave called the game yet? And I'd sit there watching them thinking, let me see, you're holding at least $25 worth of food. And then I'd say with a smile, I'm not sure, I don't know. They didn't care though. They liked the camaraderie they like the feel they like the smells you know the concession stand of the the grills of the hustle and bustle you know of being in the stadium no one cared it was almost like a little reprieve for them to go to the ballpark after work the diehard fans because if you're not a diehard fan and it's been raining all day you don't care if the game is called or not you're not going period <laughs> you know that you're going straight home kick off your shoes, and do whatever else you you would do on a regular evening versus a baseball game. I'm talking the diehard baseball fans, season ticket holders, the ones who would be there anyway. They enjoyed coming to the ballpark, and Dave enjoyed getting their money. So that was the baseball world that I was indoctrinated in, in the entertainment industry, learning how to... Put butts and seats, and knowing how important butts and seats are. Every year, they had hundreds of thousands of fans come through the ballpark. As I shifted a little bit, my understanding and the purpose of butts and seats kind of shifted a little. I remember back in 2011, a young lady and I who I met when I worked at the world's largest concert, promotions, and events company that the worldwide headquarters is based out of Beverly Hills. When I worked for them, I met a young lady who was also from the South. She was from South Carolina, and she lived in Beverly Hills as well. So we were colleagues at work and neighbors in the evening. I liked her because even though just like myself, she was working in the industry seen just about everything she still had that sense of wonder in her heart and loved to do fun things or step outside the box or wasn't afraid to make fun of herself she was actually the person who kind of showed me around the west side of la introduced me to the south bay and showed me some of her favorite haunts from when she lived there so i had a lot in common with this girl It was very easy for me to ask her if she wanted to do something that I had never done before that was kind of cheesy, but was something that I always wanted to do. I asked her if she would be a seat filler with me. She jumped at it. I had no clue that she had so many nice clothes and shoes in her closet as well because, you know, Everyone kind of wears the same leggings or yoga pants and t-shirts and top knots and sandals. So unless you discuss it, like people really don't know what you have in your closet. So, but she jumped at the chance with me to be a seat filler. Qualifications include having a great award show wardrobe and being able to do your own hair and makeup that's it. We signed up to work as seat fillers for the 2011 Critics' Choice Awards. It was the first and the last time that I've ever done it. Turned out to be somewhat of an all-day affair, which was fun that day, but it's a commitment if you're not really into it. So we got dressed up, put on our best award show garb, And at 12 in the afternoon, drove to Hollywood to wait for the award show to start. It was a live show, so they obviously wanted to make sure that all of their seat fillers were there and they could look at what you're wearing and figure out where they would place you or how they would use you or, you know, how far, how deep back in the venue you'd be versus how close to the stage, what your placement would be. Since we had never done it before, we didn't know that comfortable shoes were a must. So we were more concerned with looking our 100% pristine, absolute best, which included shoes that probably weren't made for mostly standing for eight hours. It was a lot of fun because the area where we were kind of just waiting for something to happen was also the area where all the presenters were checking in where they had the band setting up and that year the house band was maroon five meanwhile we're just you know chatty and having fun and meeting new people and mingling as we're mingling we meet people like john Hamm, and he knew he was on fire hot because of the show Mad Men. I don't know, because obviously this is my only experience ever seeing him in life, I don't know if he had that personality before his show hit, but he was what you would want a leading male actor to be. He had all the confidence in the world. He commanded the room. He showed up and everyone's eyes were drawn to him. He chatted everyone up, walked away. And when he left, everyone felt like they were the most important person in the whole world. So again, I don't know if that was his personality before, if you know, if he just knew how to be on when he's at an event like that. But I'll tell you that he really... Had that it factor, that genus sequa, that that people talk about, that you can't quantify, and I understood what all of the madness was about surrounding John Ham. Jane Fonda was there. Wow, may I say, as far as looks and poise are concerned, that I would love to be Jane Fonda when I grow up. She was. Beautiful and statuesque. She was grace personified. And I turned to her and I remember saying, you are so beautiful. And she turned back without missing a beat and said, you're very beautiful too. Of course, I didn't tell her that fishing for or looking for a compliment, but I loved that, that was her natural response that so she, she received a compliment and she wasn't afraid to give one she was absolutely just stunning in her outfit you can google it it's 2011 critics Choice Awards Chloe um, and Kim Kardashian were there this was I mean they were famous of course or they wouldn't have been there but this was before they were the Kim and Chloe of today it was Chloe and Kim in 2011 and I'm not even sure if anyone really were focused on them during that time. Joan Rivers, oh my gosh. To be up close and personal with Joan Rivers was, it was a dream. I remember being a little girl, staying up late, watching The Tonight Show when she was guest hosting on The Tonight Show and thinking she was amazing and listening to her jokes that I was probably too young to be listening to, but... Knowing that she was talented and she transcended gender. She was just an amazing comedian and people respected her as an amazing comedian. And getting to see her and talk to her in person was also a treat. And I talked to her a little bit about her clothing line and the products that she was selling on QVC. I'm not sure if I had already began pursuing hosting on shopping networks before meeting her, but certainly after meeting her, it lit a fire, and I moved towards making that more of a reality than just a dream. I even talked to her a little bit about QBC and her clothing line, and she told me to email her. Now, I have the receipts. I emailed her, not sure if Miss Joan Rivers answered, replied, or responded to her own emails. However, I have an email replied back from emailing Miss Joan Rivers, telling me what she thought I should do for my next steps. And I have it, and I'll keep it forever. But as the show started, and everyone became a little bit more focused on their jobs and what they had to do, the majority of the people who were hired as seat fillers for the evening were asked to stand by Maroon 5 and dance to the music as they would go to commercial break. I mean, can you really believe that people get paid to stand by Maroon 5 and dance to the music? Uh, Hello? Is there any better place for gig work besides Los Angeles? So the majority of the night, my friend and I, we stood by Maroon 5 and danced and chatted and met all kinds of people, had a really good time, feet killing us, but it was an experience that neither one of us would give up. Finally, as the evening begins to wrap up, and we never once had our butts in seats, An audience coordinator comes over to us and asks if we could come and sit at a table, which is what we were there to do in the first place. It felt a little bit like, oh, don't pull us away from the band. We're having too much fun. But we went to go sit in seats. The table they sat us at was the Toy Story 3 table. Toy Story 3 cleaned up that year. So when we sat at the table, there were all all kinds of awards, hardware all over the table, lots of champagne bottles, and just a really wonderful celebratory group that was seated right in front of the stage, right in camera's view as the presenters would walk on stage. So my friend and I, we sat there with the Toy Story 3 group and execs from Fox, I believe, as the evening progressed, and it was just maybe one or two awards left at that point. And it was interesting because you would see these photographers and reporters who apparently didn't do their research or didn't know what the people looked like that they should be photographing. And they'd walk over taking pictures of the Toy Story 3 table, focusing on my friend Holly and myself. And it was interesting because obviously we were only there as seat fillers. I wanted to tell them that, but I figured maybe they'd do their research once they left and, you know, had to do the the story or whatever it was they were reporting on. But it was interesting that we were literally right in the middle of all of the hoopla for Toy Story 3 that year at the Critics' Choice Awards. And I thought eventually someone would come and say, We're back, we need our seats back. But we stayed there for the rest of the evening. And the last type of butts and seats that I am familiar with is when I was working as a production coordinator for a US presidential primary debate that aired on PBS. And Miss Ruby D was the get. We wanted her front and center sitting in the audience. She was living in New York, and she did not want to take a plane, a train, or a bus to get to Howard University in DC, where we were holding this event, but she wanted to be there. So I reached out to her to talk to her about getting to Howard University for the debate, and During that time, of course, as you can imagine, when you're planning a live, a national live show, you have a thousand things on your plate. You don't have time to stop and be in the moment. You just need to get things done and keep it moving. But in that moment, on the phone with Miss Ruby D, talking to her about getting her from New York to DC, and she told me she was not gonna fly, take a plane or a train. And I talked about a car service. Told her that I'd give her a call back and find out if it was something we could do. Did the research, found out how much it would cost to get a car to drive her from New York to D.C. And this, of course, predates Uber and Lyft and all that. So this was an actual limousine car service that would drive her from New York to D.C. Gave her a call back and we just talked. I remember it was about five o'clock in the afternoon LA time and she's in New York. So it was about eight o'clock for her. And we just talked on the phone for about an hour. And she talked to me about how important she thought it was to be there, how hard she worked in the civil rights movement, what it was like to MC the 1963 March on Washington. She talked about how young people take voting for granted, how people will repeat the same mistakes if they're not educated enough to know what their history has showed them. I loved every moment on the phone with her. It probably took realistically 10 minutes or less To get her address, to convince her that we would take care of her, to talk to her about what the logistics of getting to the debates would be and getting her back home. The other 50 minutes was just me soaking up all of her actor and activism wisdom that she was just imparting on me. I couldn't have been in a more blissful moment. We ended the call with me confirming her details and promising that when we were both in DC, that I would come and say hello to her and give her a hug. And that's exactly what I did. So as busy as I was in DC, everything happening and being in charge of everything that took place off the stage, so every little piece of coordination, every detail that happened, fell as my responsibility to make sure that none of the small parts that make up the big part fell through the cracks. And I talked to her that evening in DC, and I just reminded her, like, hi, I'm Susan, we spoke. She reached out to me, hugged me, and, We took a picture, which I never received. So I'm sure the show photographer or somewhere in the PBS archives or somewhere with the production company that I worked with, there exists a picture of me and Miss Ruby D. although I have never seen it. I just was blown away. And after that whole experience with her, I, of course, realized how important it is for people to see audience members. And yeah, all of these experiences of butts and seats are completely different and have completely different benefits. But what I'm learning in 2020 is people want some normalcy to the point where professional sports are putting cardboard cutouts and putting digital video boards of fans to give us this normalcy that we crave so much. And people have learned in 2020 exactly how important entertainment is to America and society. Okay, it's not brain surgery and we're not inventing vaccines for the COVID-19 virus. However, entertainment has been what has gotten us through. And while we're waiting for 2020 to take several seats, sit down, 2020. Let us remember that change comes from being uncomfortable. Okay, guys, if you enjoy the show, please rate and subscribe on iTunes. Find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast, as well as Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find me, Susan Pinkney, at suzq90210, suzq90210, on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're interested in advertising, come on, please do contact Believe at Believe.com. Don't forget to vote, go out your senses, and I will see you next time.